Hi guys, welcome to the Church Split. My name is Will. We got Brian with us today. What's up, heretics? And you guys know what we do here. We help you escape your church's echo chamber, learn to think biblically, and of course, challenge the status quo. That always needs challenging. Did you see me almost forget yeah. what, that we don't know what we do here? <laughs> I was like, what well, do we do here? Like, what was my catchphrase? <laughs> I don't even know anymore. That's so, why I just say, what's up, heretics? I can remember that. Look, man, I got to do the mouthful. <laughs> so someone's got to do the job. So thank you guys again so much for watching. I know this has been a topic, this once saved, always saved topic, and our opinion of that and what do we believe on apostasy has been asked a thousand times by more of you probably than I think. I think that might be our top question asked yeah i know there's at least a few people in facebook messenger that like when are you doing this episode like i don't know sometime (laughs) at one point i don't know um so with that being said first off being a look on a lookout for black sheep theology right here uh it's a network we are launching very soon we have the likes of bible bro down provisionist perspective idol killer uh christian evidentialist podcast we got all of them uh you can go to bstheology.com like (laughs) bs as in blacksheeptheology.com. Easy to remember. Much easier to remember. <laughs> so um, if ever someone says your theology is whack, just say, yeah, it's BS theology, bro. It's black sheep <laughs> theology. It's, it's fine. Um, so go check that out. Be on the lookout for that. Also, uh, go ahead and join us on Patreon if you'd like. You get access to my apologetics classes a month in advance if you do so. Uh, all of you guys start putting hateful comments and get Brian to record his Sunday school classes as well, because I think that'd be fine. <laughs> um, then we get, like, Brian Bodie apologetics and a thumbnail. <laughs> Yeah, you're already nervous about that, aren't you? Yeah, I don't want to do that. I know. (laughs) But Brian's a good teacher. So anyway, uh, with that being said, we are going to jump into this. But first, we do have to get into our favorite comment from last time. And I will say, uh, uh, WJ Pressler, you were on fire in our live chat. And Mm -hmm. uh, you had two comments on our last video. We had a hard time figuring out which one we wanted to do. So we went with the one with the most likes. So... W.J. Pressler said this uh, about our pro-life video. So if you can kill it, so if we can kill it, if we aren't sure it is a person or not, then I can shoot through a door when I hear something pounding on my door. That is negligent homicide in every state. And that is very true because that was the whole thing with a particular young lady who was shot through a door, right? Yeah. And everyone had a problem with that. So if you're shooting somebody, shooting or killing something or eliminating something that could possibly be a life on the other side, perhaps you should not take the life or risk it. Right? I agree. I agree. Great comment. Sound logic to me. That's a good argument, and you should feel good about that. All right. That that doesn't sound as good on the reverse. (laughs) I always say it's a bad argument. You should feel bad for using it. Well, that's a good argument. You should feel good about using it. doesn't sound as good. I'm better when I'm derogatory. All right. (laughs) So uh, with that being said, guys, um, like and sub to the channel, and we're going to jump into this. Uh, So anything you want to add before we get rolling? No, let's just jump into it. All right. There's a lot to cover. There's a lot to cover, and there's no way we could possibly cover everything on this topic because about... There's so many passages that are used, so we're going to use a chunk of them, and hopefully it's enough for you guys to get a good idea, and you guys can at least use the principles that we've used so you can look at Scripture and examine Scripture. And I think just remember that this is not a topic to split over, because whether you believe that you're eternally secure and there's nothing you can do to forfeit it, or that someone believes you can forfeit it through a rejection of the Holy Spirit, um, you guys should be living the same type of life. You should see similar types of works of sanctification. You should be seeing fruits of the Spirit. You should be seeing someone focusing on their faith. 
So and that might vary person to person. It does, but I think you should be seen at least someone being Christian. <laughs> right. <laughs> and That's a good way to put that. And I think those that believe we're eternally secure still believe that we need to be Christian. <laughs> right. And act Christian and seek a closer and closer relationship with Christ. Also, I will say that one area you could probably split over is if somebody believes you could just like magically sin your way out of salvation. Like, well, that was one too many lies, son. Yeah. <laughs> it's out of here. Well, that can be manipulative too. Like, okay, Very. well, you committed that sin, so you're out. So, which is funny because people have accused us of not being saved because we don't believe in eternal security, but we b believed in it when we both were saved. So, they would have to then believe that we aren't eternally secure in order to not be saved for believing this idea. That's actually very, the <laughs> irony. Now, I will say this. When you say eternal security, we're talking about the doctrine of once saved, always saved. I actually do believe the, the Christian or the believer is eternally secure. So we do believe in eternal security for the believer. Is that a good way to put yep, that? That's a good way to okay, put it. Okay. All right. Cool. Let's so, get all the rhetoric out of the way. <laughs> yeah. It's, 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 there, yeah. There's a lot of rhetorical baggage with a lot of this stuff, which is why a lot of times I'm careful not to affirm certain things, just because I don't want to deal with the baggage. Um, if you want to know my more nuanced approach, let me know. Right. <laughs> so. All right. So I think it's important that we address the fact that we were both raised once saved, always saved. Uh, I was raised uh, independent fundamental Baptist. Hey, man. And this was one of those topics that I actually didn't give. I did not budge on this until a couple years into my senior pastorate because um, I went back and forth on the topic a little bit. I was like, oh, I see that. But then I would find a different interpretation. I'm like, I like that better <laughs> um, until I started just being more honest with some of these passages and really questioning things. Um, then I started realizing that, yeah, I think I'm, I need to shift my position. Well, even when I was teaching Hebrews the first time in Sunday school, I was like, what do you think about this? He goes, yeah interesting about that <laughs> <laughs> it's because i just came off my deep study on that and you and i were just starting to be good friends yeah. <laughs> and i was like i don't know is he, ready? is he ready for this conversation <laughs> so uh all right um so just so you're aware in the independent fundamental baptist movement there's a lot of what we call free grace it's the free grace perspective um, which of course is the fact that you don't even need to repent. They actually a lot of times keep the word repent out, um, or at least repent of your sins. Cause they don't believe you have to repent of your sins. They think you need to repent of your unbelief, which I think they have a point there because repentance is a changing of your mind. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think there's a right way there a little, like there's a right perspective there, but also the whole, um, say this prayer evangelism, repeat after me evangelism doesn't work. Salvation isn't a prayer. Salvation isn't repeat after me. I cringe almost every time I hear a pastor do it, and sometimes my pastor does it, and I just, in the back, like, no. Um, <laughs> I just start having a seizure. It's not an incantation. Right. <laughs> so just, um, then there's also this, this idea of, like, well, just believe. Just believe in God and Jesus, what he did for you, and you're good. Um, and just there's, believe he exists. <laughs> just tr I guess there's some truth to, yes, just believe, but I feel like it gets... This becomes easy believism real quickly. Yeah. Like you can, well, I believe God exists. I believe in God. Okay, you believe a God exists, but you don't really believe. You want a savior. You don't really want a Lord. Uh, you you know you want somebody to save you from your stupid decisions and your terrible life, but you don't really want to have him Lord over your life. And I think that is part of the entire salvation process is recognizing God as Lord, um, and also your salvation. Yeah. Um, so anyway. Uh, I don't want to speak for you, Brian. You were raised Calvinist, so you were raised in a version of once saved, always saved as well. Yeah, yeah, and I believed this for quite a while, um, and it really wasn't until after I taught through Hebrews 6 that I was like, just not, not, not just Hebrews 6, but all of Hebrews, and I was like, it's just something not sitting right, I, and I felt like I kind of misled people, 
And that kind of bothered me for a while, and that's why I really went back and studied it hard. Did you actually lose sleep over things? I did. <laughs> I was like, I was taking James three to heart. I was like, maybe I shouldn't be a teacher. If I got this wrong, I feel really bad. So I was losing sleep over it. So you were raised Calvinist, so you were raised with Perseverance of the Saints. Yep. So in a other words... A little bit different perspective on it. <laughs> right. So basically, they believe that all who apostatize were just never saved to begin with, right? Yeah. You were never truly saved. You just thought you were saved, and then you you walked away. So Yeah, um, because those in Christ are essentially decreed to be in Christ by God before the beginning right, of the world. Right, because salvation is completely of God. You don't even make a choice in the matter. Mm-hmm. Well, you do, but he has to regenerate you, then you make your choice. But still, it's... It's tomato. But it's a choice you can't not make. Right, exactly. It's irresistible. (laughs) Uh, Much like me. All right, so. (laughs) That will be in the comment section later. I look forward to it. I'm going to be eating those words. (laughs) So uh, here comes the hashtags. Came for Will, stayed for Brian. All right, so we both later on rejected these doctrines. Uh, We both, I believe that the free grace, one saved, always saved, is not good. Um, I believe that perseverance of the saints has some truth to it, but I also think it's wrong. Um, I think they're both... I think they're both touching on things that are correct, but I think they're both missing the forest for the trees a little bit. Um, and I think it's because they're both latching on to things that make it easier for Christians um, to ignore. And we'll yeah. talk about that here in a minute. But so I note, first off, we waited this long to do this episode because to us, it really is not that big of a deal. And I understand for a lot of people, this is like a make or break situation. Like if you don't agree with me on this particular doctrine of once saved, always saved or perseverance of the saints or whatever to them, you're not a believer. Like they just don't think you're saved. I think that's stupid. Um, Jesus did never put a prerequisite on how you had to view, um, the, like the condition of your salvation as a method of, whether or not you're a Christian. The only thing he requires is faith. So um, that is important. So whether, so I also want to just point out that whether a person is struggling in faith, misunderstanding the nature of God, or they rejected the gift of salvation, forfeited their salvation, or were never truly saved to begin with, the answer for us is still the same, which is they need the gospel and the truth of Jesus Christ. So no matter where we land on this issue, the, the, the solution is still the same. So that's why for me, it's not a make or break situation. I think works-based salvation is probably the most problematic um, because no one can ca- no one can achieve that. That's kind of a whole point of the yeah. Bible. So I feel like if you teach works-based salvation, you are now outside of what Christ teaches. So yeah. I do think that's, that's a separation issue. I wouldn't hang out with, well, that's part of Jehovah's Witnesses, right? Mm-hmm. Is that it's a works-based so I think that's a problem. So we're not teaching workspace. A lot of people say that, that if you acknowledge our doctrine, that you're teaching works-based. Faith is not a work, or is it? <laughs> anyway. That's another episode. That's another episode. So, and, I, I, and I think, too, we're, we're told not to judge someone's heart or motive, but we're told to judge people's actions. And I think whether someone's saved or not is really... That's really not for us to decide. So I think it's simplest just to take people out their word right. when you're having this discussion with someone. Um, and you can see evidence of what they're professing based on their works. But I don't think it's for us to decide. So if someone says, I'm a Christian, and I believe, and they're professing, I'm like, cool, I, I believe you. Right. And if someone says, I'm no longer a Christian, I go, okay, I believe you. Here's the gospel. Right. So... 
Well, in other words, taking people at their word. So yeah. um, we are told in Philippians to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, and I think that's all we're trying to do here. So I want to make sure we acknowledge that. Even if you disagree with us at the, at the end, that's perfectly fine. Uh, I do want to make sure I do say some things uh, a little bit here as far as works and salvation um, and faith. So Paul talks about how faith is not a work or that these things aren't works or is not by works of righteousness. I think it's important that we acknowledge a distinction here because this is where things get lost in the mud a little bit because it depends on how you define work, right? So if we're saying it's something you do, well, faith is something you do. Even the Calvinist acknowledges that. You're regenerated Mm -hmm. so that it enables you for you to have faith. You're regenerated first. You know, regeneration precedes faith. That's what they teach. But they believe that the faith is something that you have, but that was something that was first given you, right? Mm -hmm. So it is something you do. So faith is something you do. So you could say in that sense that something you do is a work, so faith is a work. But when Paul's talking about works, faith being a work or not being a work or not by works of righteousness, I should say. So when he's talking about not by works of righteousness, what he is really saying there is not by doing good deeds from the law. Right. Not by giving to the poor enough, not by serving at the temple enough. He's like, that's not not those works. So we can get into the tomato tomato of all that. But the bottom line is faith is not considered a work of righteousness under Paul, as in fulfilling the Torah to earn your salvation. Yeah. Is that a good way? way Is that a good way to put it? I think that'll make you and Jordan Fury happy (laughs) because I was was trying to figure that out the other day where the disagreement was coming from. And I think that's what it is. So uh, anyway, but I will give a real quick hot take. (laughs) So you can disagree with me, but the hot take is simple. If you believe in genuine apostasy like we do, I think that is the only way you can actually genuinely know if you are saved and in a relationship with God. Ooh. I honestly do. Like, I've thought about that a lot because one of the biggest things in Once Saved, Always Saved and Perseverance of the Saints is, well, you have to know that you're saved. You have to know that you're saved. Well, I think you can, but the only way you can is by acknowledging that apostasy is real. So... um, Brian, you had two points you wanted to mention before we jump into the scripture. Yeah, I think this is kind of my overarching philosophy towards this that I've kind of developed as I've been studying scripture. Um, One, I think, like Will was saying, I think that you can know if you are saved. I think scripture is clear on that. We're going to go into this later, but 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5 and 5 and 6, um, I think portray this, that this is something that you are capable of doing. Um, that you're able to test your faith and see if you have it or not. Um, And I think the other point is I think there are no atheists in heaven. (laughs) And I think most Christians would believe believe that and agree with me. Um, And I would take that from John 3, verse 36. Right. Um, so actually with the one day you said that, I was like, you're like, I just don't believe atheists will be in heaven. I'm like, boom, there it is. Like I, I never put it in such a succinct way, but I think that's a great way to put that. So, so that's, that's kind of leaves my mind track as we're going through this. That's right. how I'm kind of reviewing the scripture. And obviously we have to start with some kind of philosophy. And I believe I've derived this from scripture. You can disagree with me if you want, but we're going to go through these. Right. So we're going to go through our perspective on this. Um, also, Pastor Tommy McMurtry, hello. Uh, he wa- he did warn us that he, if we do this, he will do a friendly rebuttal. Uh, if if it's, we're not doing once saved, always saved. So cheers. <laughs> so um, with that being said, Tommy, we love you. You're our favorite friend of me of the channel. Um, <laughs> mainly because we disagree on so much, yet agree hardcore on so much. It's so it's so funny. I've never ever met. Had, I don't think I've ever had a friendship that's that dichotomous. So. He does at least have a really good attitude, Ooh. and I enjoy it. <laughs> we, yeah, we did. There's a lot of poking and punching, but when it comes to politics, man, I'm with you. 
I, I like a lot of it. Um, so keep keep being based. All right. All right. Let's not get canceled. All right. So Romans chapter 11, verses 1 through 2, uh, it, the scripture says this. I say then, God has not rejected his people, has he? Far from it. For I too am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew, or do you not know what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel? So we see this very simple, simply that God has not abandoned his people, and God's people are those who believe, right? Because that's the, also the argument of Romans 9, that just because you are born of Abraham does not mean that you are of Abraham, right? So yeah. it's not genetic. Um, it's about those who believe. So God has not rejected his people, okay? But now if we skip ahead to verses 17 through 21, we read, but if some of the branches were broken off and you, being a wild olive, were grafted in among them and became partaker with them of the rich root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. But if you are arrogant, remember that this is not you who supports the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Quite right. They were broken off for their unbelief, but you stand by your faith. Do you do not be conceited, but fear for if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. See the, the, then the kindness and severity of God to those who fell severity, but to you, God's kindness. If you continue in his kindness for other way, otherwise you too will be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue to, in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For if God is able to graft them in, for if you were cut off from what, if you are cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree, and contrary to nature were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these who are the, these who are the natural branches be grafted in their own olive tree? I'm sorry, I'm struggling reading today. Um, it is kind of worded strangely. <laughs> I mean, it's like everything that is Hebraic, like every single Jewish author is like super redundant and does a lot of flip floppy. Mm -hmm. um, so us Westerners are going, ah, how do you read this? But anyway, a couple of things to note here. Now, somebody might be astute and recognize the fact that Romans 11 is talking about Jewish and Gentile inclusion, right? That's the whole point of Romans 9 through 11 is yeah. Jew and Gentile inclusion. How does that work? And so people go look at this and go, Will, you're talk this is talking about Old Covenant to New Covenant, okay? So you, you got it wrong, and I know that's a big perspective. That's also a perspective on how people get around Hebrews 6 and how he dare Hebrews 10. How dare you? <laughs> um, but a couple things to note here. First, they were, so branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Quite right. They were broken off for their unbelief. unbelief. Which means that they did not believe Jesus was Messiah, right? Mm -hmm. So at one point they believed, but now they are being removed from said covenant because of their unbelief. So it means at one point they were in this covenant, and if you're you're in the covenant, you're saved, yeah. right? Because in order to be part of this new covenant, it is by, by faith, right? For by grace you are saved through faith. So that is how we enter said new covenant. Yeah, you're under the kindness, as Paul's saying. Right. Through faith. So it is through faith that you are part of this, through belief. And so because of their unbelief, they are now removed from the tree. What is this olive tree? Well, this olive tree is the covenant, really, mm -hmm. in this passage. Because that's why he's talking about them, who are the natural branches of the covenant, essentially, of the olive tree. They are the natural branches. But now they're being removed, and you're being grafted on. But then notice how it says, if you continue in his kindness, for otherwise you too will be cut off. If? If. <laughs> if is a contingency. If you continue in his kindness, which means in the faith, 
right? Otherwise, what you'll be cut off. What am I being cut off from if I wasn't partaker of it <laughs> in the first place? If I'm not a partaker of this covenant, how am I cut off from it? Yeah, how can you continue in something if right. you weren't ever in it? Because if you read this, this is what he's talking about here is a person who has latched on to the tree. Remember, he talked about how the, this person was grafted in. Now he's saying, but if that's if you continue in his kindness, if you don't, you'll be cut off. You'll be removed like everyone else. So again, you're part of, now you're being removed. The Jews who accepted Christ, part of, but also now are being removed due to their unbelief. Yeah. Making sense so far? Definitely. So we see that there's a contingency here. Uh, and they also, if they do not continue in their unbelief, so if they do not, they will be grafted in. So that seems pretty fair. If I you know, don't continue my unbelief and I start believing, I am grafted in. If I don't believe, I'm grafted out. And I will make another hot take here. The only consistent view, if you are not a Calvinist and you believe in the free will of man, the only consistent view is to accept that one can cut themselves off from the covenant. Yeah, you don't lose free will through salvation. Right, if it's free will in, it's free will out, period. So at least be consistent in your free willisms. <laughs> and I know, because when there's a will, there's a way, and I'm a professional because I'm will. All right, I'm done, I'm done, okay. I'm so, so bad. All right, so a couple of things to note in this, uh, in this passage. Notice how the Jews went from belief to unbelief, as I mentioned before. Now, those who believed have been removed from the branches when they were once part of the tree. So those who believed have been removed due to unbelief. So this verse is discussing Gentile inclusion into the covenant, right? So again, sure, but it also referring to people being removed from said covenant, as we mentioned before, through unbelief. So being grafted into their own olive tree isn't, um, so being grafted into their own olive tree isn't being apostates, but Jews becoming believers in Christ, right? So if you're being grafted in, it's not because someone's being an apostate or anything like that. Jews are simply being grafted into Christ in this passage. So branches infer individuals, as it is plural, right? Yeah. Branches. So he's referring, he's creating just, just a word picture here. Branches representing people. Um, Jews are the natural branches. Of course, we've all seen grafting uh, done. That's a pretty cool process. And we see saved Jews, too. So if you say, well, this, the cut-off branch, if you just try to not make it plural and just say the branch was cut off being Jews, being Israel, well, then what are these saved Jews running around? Who is the book of Hebrews talking to? Right, and what's the whole point of Jew, no Jew, no Gentile? So the, yeah. the only con consistent way for me to interpret this passage is that I can cut myself off yeah. or I can be grafted in. Yeah, you had belief. Jews that believed that there was a Messiah that was going to save them. Jesus came. They're like, well, that's not it. That's the unbelief. And now they have been cut off. Correct. So if we, this passage wraps up with verses 28 through 31. Uh, do you want to read those real quick, Brian? Yeah. So 20, 31. In, in relation to the gospel, they are enemies on your account. But in the relation to God's choice, they are beloved on account of the Father's. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were once, once you once were disobedient to God, but now have been shown mercy because of their disobedience. So these also now have been disobedient because of that mercy, uh, because of the mercy shown to you. They also may now be shown mercy. Right. Okay. So the part here that is irrevocable, because some people use this to pr prove once saved, always saved. So the part that Context. is irrevocable here are the covenants of their fathers. So. In other words, God's promises to Israel, they're irrevocable. God's word stands on his own. Notice, though, that though this covenant remains active, 
many in Israel rejected the covenant and thus moved, removed themselves from the olive tree. This is exactly what caused Gentiles to be grafted in. So we have to be careful not to misunderstand this, but in relation to God's choice. So this is God's choice in his covenant making, right? It's his choice that they are beloved on account of the fathers. So he's talking about the covenant, right? The fathers, the covenant of the fathers, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. So in other words, he can't break his word. He won't break his word. For just as you were disobedient to God, but now have been shown mercy because of their disobedience. So we are being shown mercy because of the Jews' disobedience and unbelief. So these also now have been disobedient that because of the mercy shown to you, that they may also be shown mercy. So now Gentiles are shown mercy in a new way than before. So another part that's used for once saved, always saved is John 6. And I do think that it is important that we address this a little bit. Oh, yeah. Um, so Jesus speaks about eating his flesh and drinking his blood throughout this passage. So in verse 60, people say that this was, uh, you could say, unpleasant and offensive. They were uh, microaggressed. They <laughs> <laughs> so many of the disciples who followed Jesus ended up leaving. So a bunch of people, remember, they're following Jesus. They're believers in Jesus. They're following Jesus. But at this point, they went, whoop, time out. And you can't really blame them because in Judaism, like, I get it why that would be such a hot take. But instead of taking time to hear him out and listen and ask why, they just instantly rejected. Uh, it's almost like nowadays it's just as polarized. Right. If somebody hears a doctrine they disagree with or hears something they, they disagree with, they instantly flip out and all the heresy yeah. hunters run around and start pointing fingers at everyone. So uh, verses 66 through 71, Brian, go ahead and take it. As a result of this, many of his disciples left and would no longer walk with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, you do not want to leave also, do you? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life, and we have already believed and have come to know that you are the... Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I myself not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. Ooh. And, now he, and now he meant Judas, the son of uh, Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Now a few things to note in this passage then is that Jesus asked them if they would leave, if they would leave too. So clearly we see disciples who leave, disciples of Jesus. It literally says his disciples left. Disciples are followers. Um, if you're a, a, a Christian, you're a disciple of Christ. So we see that disciples left. They no longer believed. They left. Did that mean that they were never truly believers or disciples to begin with? Well, no, because there's nothing in the passage that indicates that they weren't. Um, or were they just believers? You could, or you could, oh, another great question. Or were they believers who eventually left the faith? I think that's a better, more reasonable answer. Well, the Bible calls them disciples again, meaning followers. So what is a follower of Christ if not a saved individual? Yeah, you got to be careful with your words here. And then Jesus even asked they're going to leave. If Peter left, would that mean he was never a believer? What was he doing on the water, right? If you say, well, he didn't, didn't though because he was a true believer, then why is Jesus asking the question? Right, because he says we already believe, you know, we have already believed. And what he's saying there is, we already made up our minds, <laughs> right? Um, so we have already believed. Now, he might say that other people might point out what well, he's saying already believe because these people haven't fully believed yet. But again, they're called disciples. These are followers. Yeah. So I think you're reading too much into the already there. But I think this is simply saying we already believed. We made up our minds. Like these guys, they, you know, they rejected you. That's fine. But they were called disciples first because Jesus was followed by hundreds of people more than just his 12. But notice this as well. 
Jesus chose 12 disciples and he calls one of them a devil. So, though, so clearly someone can reject him once they're part of it because, I mean, when he chooses the 12, there's nothing that indicates when he first chooses uh, Judas that he chose him to crucify him, right? Mm -hmm. So essentially we see the idea that Simon Iscariot, I mean, the son of Simon Iscariot became corrupt. So um, if nothing else, it is at, le at least seems possible that it's possible to be a disciple and leave. This passage would at least indicate that much. So um, now if we move to John 10, verses 22 through 30, it says this. At that time, the feast of the dedication took place in Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple area in the portico of Solomon. The Jews went, then surrounded him and began saying to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I told you, and you do not believe the works that I do in my Father's name. These testify of me, but you do not believe, because you are not of my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Of course, Jesus is getting a little spicy here, and I'm not going to, uh, we're not here to talk Calvinism and how the Calvinists interpret this passage in particular, okay, about God choosing and all that. I'm not getting into that, but. Um, I just love them yelling like, speak plainly, man. I don't understand. And then Jesus, Are you him or not? <laughs> and then Jesus just basically goes, you wouldn't believe me if I told you, because I have told you, and you haven't even believed me. And so then he whatever. does say it again. I yeah. am the father of one. <laughs> and then they're just, yeah. So uh, a couple things to note here. Um, what people oftentimes use is, of course, they're like, well, God is greater, and that's what the whole point is, that those who are his sheep, those who believe, God will not cast them out, and they're his, and no man can pluck them out of my father's hand. So, yes, yes. <laughs> keep in mind here, though, if I say literally no one could ever convince me to divorce my wife, no man could ever convince me to divorce my wife. You can't get divorced now. Right. <laughs> Does that mean I can't choose later to change my mind that I want to be out of my covenant with my wife? You lost the free will once you said I do. <laughs> but you guys, I hope you guys see what, it mean, what I mean here. So this is many people's favorite passage to go to. No man can remove you. And then they ask you, are you a man? Well, if you're a man, then you can't remove yourself. But this is to ignore the plain, like, use of this language like me saying no man can cut me out of the covenant with my with my wife like no man could ever convince me to divorce my wife does not mean that i can't choose to mm -hmm. right it means that you can't convince me to divorce her yeah but i can choose to divorce her right so in other words this is stretching the metaphor right that you're doing if you're using this for one saved always saved yeah, no you one can, can come to a conclusion that you can't sin your way out of salvation Right. But this isn't saying that you can't reject the gift that you've been given of salvation. Right. No one today, right, or back then, uses this type of phraseology to exclude oneself, right? When I say no one can do this, no man could ever do that, it I, usually does not include oneself. It's usually an, uh, an external phrase used to refer to everyone else, or it can at least be used in such a sense. Well, and then go back to John 6, right? Would you describe those, those disciples that left as someone that followed him, that listened to their voice, that know him, and they follow Christ? 
Right. So wouldn't that, that fall into that same category that we're in, just talking about? And in order to be one of the sheep, you have to believe, mm-hmm. right? You have to be a believer. So that's how. So those who believe, God, no, God will not cast out. No man can get between you and the love of God. That is absolutely true, as long as your faith and trust is in Him. So again, like I said, no no man can remove my wife and I. We will always be married. But that does not mean I can't remove myself from the marriage. So it is just speaking of the strength in that relationship, as all Jesus is doing here. Doesn't mean one can walk away. It doesn't mean one can't walk away. Based on the passage above, though, I think it is actually totally possible to walk away. So, um, oh, this was your point. I thought that you should you should yeah, tackle this one. I came across this when I was going through Second Corinthians um, in Sunday school, and I was like, oh my goodness, this is such a clear point. So, chapter thirteen, verses five and six, it says, "Test yourselves." to see if you are in the faith, examine yourselves, exclamation mark, or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail this test? But I expect that you will realize that we ourselves do not fail the test. So this is interesting. Why would we need to test and see if we're in the faith if it's just a once saved, always saved? Right. If you're, if I'm, if I'm saved and I am saved, right, it's done. All right, I, put, I said the prayer. I put, I put my faith in him once. I don't believe him anymore, but I put my faith in him once. Once saved, always saved, baby. Then why would you have to test your faith? Yeah. Could, is faith the mechanism by which you're saved? Yes. Well, then why test it? Right? There's a lot of things that are implied by the idea of testing your faith. Yeah. It's, and we know faith is this condition in order to be saved. Thus, to test ourselves would mean you're making sure that you are putting your faith in Christ. You understand that you're a sinner, that you are in need of salvation. You believe that Jesus Christ, through his death, burial, and resurrection, is able to save you from your sins and give you eternal life. It's it's not a hard test to do, um, but it is one that can give a true or false answer. Right. He's emphasizing that they must test their faith to be sure that they're in the faith. Very simple. Um, so faith is a condition in order to be saved, right? Faith is a condition. So thus to test myself would mean to be sure that I am putting my faith in Jesus Christ and not in something else or my works of righteousness. So we can have two conclusions here. You can know that you are saved, right? Cause you can test it and you can know, do mm-hmm. I believe these things? Yes, I do. Cool. You're saved. Um, also the test test might yield a failure, which means either you were saved and are now not, and can discover that you that and you can discover that or you aren't saved and you can know it. So that's really the thing here. So there's really only two conclusions that you know that you can be saved and you are saved by testing it or that the test might yield a failure, which means that either you are saved and are now not and can discover that or you aren't saved and you can know it. Either way, <laughs> it's, it, to get to one saved, always saved and testing your faith becomes really redundant, right? Because you're saved. And if Paul can tell the Corinthians that they have the capability to do this. I'm sure the rest of us have this ability. I mean, I'm not... The, Corinth- sleep- the Corinthians had some problems. I'm not sleeping with any mother-in-law, <laughs> so I'm doing okay. Uh, mine's dead. All right, so <laughs> dark humor. Um, 2 Peter 2, 17 through 21. These are springs without water and mist driven by a storm for whom the black darkness has been reserved. For while speaking out arrogant words of no value, they entice by fleshly desires, by indecent behavior, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by what anyone is overcome, by this he is enslaved. 
For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and are overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than have, having known it to turn away from the holy commandment handed on to them. It has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit and a sow after washing returns to wallowing in the mire. This is actually, I think, one of those passages that's like, yeah, I think this is actually the truth. I don't think once saved, always saved holds true. I should also mention that once saved, always saved is only like a 500-year-old doctrine in the church. Yeah. The church never really held to it before. Um, it's a very unique and new, and it's very much with the Protestantism and the Calvinism and the, the other isms and the crap that came from the Reformation because everyone was wrong in the Reformation, at least 50%, I'm pretty sure. I've heard a lot of explanations of this trying to not have it say that you can lose your salvation and they're all they all ring really hollow. They just it doesn't make sense, especially when you read that it's that the prior condition is better than the last. It's like, wait a minute. Being entangled in the world and not knowing the knowledge of Jesus Christ is better than having known it and then gone back to it. Why? Aren't you in the same spot? <laughs> right, if you're once saved always saved, it's, and then it's like, well, it's better for them not to have known it at all. Right? It's better yeah. to just not have known about the gospel of Jesus Christ than to return to it. Well, I think there's a few reasons why it's better. Why it's better for them never to have yeah. known. One, I think because through general revelation due to Romans 2, um, a person who has never heard of Jesus Christ actually has a chance at salvation um, due to general revelation. Read Romans 2. Um, you can disagree with me on that, but I'm a Romans 2 inclusivist. Yeah, so it says accuse or excuse. Right, accuse or excuse them, right? So um, so then, the and that they will be judged by what they do know, essentially. Mm -hmm. So then, okay, great. So it's better for them not, because they would have at least had a shot, you know? <laughs> but then... It's also worse because you have now rejected the gift, and now if you're rejected, if it is it really that bad, which one's worse? Let me just ask this. Which one's worse? Never hearing the gospel and going to hell, or hearing the gospel, returning to the world, but getting to go to heaven? <laughs> which one sounds worse? Still the guy who, did, who never heard and went to hell. Yeah. That sounds way worse. So that doesn't make sense. If you have that interpretation. Well, then you have to come to the conclusion and say, well, he was never saved in the first place. Then what does that even mean, right? Escaping the defilements of the world by, by and through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. What knowledge are they getting that's allowing them to escape the defilements of the world? Right. So they, they escaped, right? They left. They were in Jesus Christ. Oh, but they weren't really saved. Well, then what does that even mean then? Words <laughs> don't have meaning at that point, right? Yeah. It's just like, what is a woman, right? It becomes <laughs> that vague. Um, <laughs> um, so, uh, sorry, that's a progressive joke. All right, so um, then it says a dog returns to his own vomit. Does this, like, does that description of someone who for, uh, it would be better for them not to have known righteousness than to have known it, than to turn away from the holy commandment, hand it on to them. It has happened to them according to the true proverb. A dog that returns to his own vomit or a sow after washing returns wallowing in the mire. Does that sound like a saved person to you? It sounds like somebody who's back to being a filthy degenerate of the world, unsaved, yeah. with their heart against God. Yeah, it doesn't sound like they're just sinning so grace can abound. Oh, God forbid. <laughs> um, so Plus, I have horses, and I've seen this. You wash those suckers, and they will immediately... You let them go in the pasture, they will find dirt and roll in it. And it's the most annoying thing. <laughs> That's got to be so annoying. And that is how God feels, in my opinion. Like, come on! <laughs> you just, knew it! <laughs> you had it. You had it right there, and you said no. 
So notice how this is, again, someone who escaped the world, came onto Christ, then left to go back to the world. So notice also how this is directly associated with their works, right? It's showing that their works mm -hmm. reflect it, right? You will know them by their fruit. So, or uh, this type of person puts forth bad fruit, this one the good fruit. So you can, you can test this by, by watching. And I, this is one of the things that Christians get accused of all the time, which is being too judgmental. Well, you're judging their works. You're judging them by the works, not their heart. Well, works are oftentimes a reflection of the heart. Not all the time people do screw up, but this yeah. is where um, the various ideas in Judaism of like a Rasha, a Benoni, or a Benoni, and a, uh, a Sadiq, which is someone who has completely ruled over their evil uh, desires. But anyway, we, I won't get into that too much, but <laughs> that's why that's important to also understand it. It's helped me. But biblically, faith and faithfulness also go hand in hand. People don't like this, but the Greek, which is pistis, Meaning, it means faith, and it also means faithful, okay? It means both. You are faithful in works and faith as in heart condition. Because if I am, if I am faithful to my wife, it means there is good faith in our, friend, in our covenant. But I can't say that I treat her like dirt. I have no relationship with her. I don't talk to her, and I'm a real piece of garbage to her. But you know what? I don't sleep with other women, so actually I'm totally faithful to her. And you'd be like, no, you're not. You're what? Sexually faithful, maybe. That's it, right? It'd be this, it's that same concept where, with here, which is saying that you, when it comes to faith, faith is both a heart condition, a mind condition, and an action, right? Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. You can't say one and then reject the other. They are hand in hand. You can't get rid of them. It's almost like the opposite of the cliche, right, that it's better to have loved and lost than to have never loved at all. Like, this is saying the exact opposite. It would be better to have never loved Christ than to loved and lost him. Right. So also worth noting that in the Hebrew, emunah is what means faith, um, but also it's the same one for trustworthy and steadfast. So in other words, faithful. You're steadfast. So... These words are uh, words have meaning, people, and they always go hand in hand. So um, this passage becomes strange if we believe that this person was unsaved, then became saved, but returned to the same vomit will still being saved. This passage is making a parallel that those who abandoned the faith altogether are worse off. Yeah, and if you say, take the other position, right, that the first position was unsaved and the second position is still unsaved, then why is the first position better than the second? Right. What's the distinction? Hell is hell is hell. Right. It's not better. Right, exactly. So They're, that doesn't make sense either. Either side you take the that. Same. Right. But once they do say it, you just can't articulate these set of verses in any meaningful way. Right. And Tommy, I know you're going to do a rebuttal to that, so I expect something good. <laughs> um, also, expect if we're... meaningful exegesis. <laughs> <laughs> a James White joke right now at this yes. point? Okay. Um, and it's worth noting here, by the way, if we're proved wrong, I'm happy to be proven wrong, but I've noticed yeah. a lot of people hold on to one saved, always saved due to emotional reasons. It is emotional and it is convenient because... Yeah. It's they, like almost shirking responsibility. Right. Well, it is, right? And think about it. We live in a time that always wants to shirk responsibility. I don't want to be responsible for my faith. Once I believed in him, in him once, wasn't that good enough? I believed in him once. Uh, I can reject them afterwards. I don't have to take responsibility for my rejection. I said the prayer. I did the thing. I genuinely believed when I was six, but I just don't when I'm 32. What's the big deal? Yeah, it's just like millennials. I went to college. I should be a millionaire now. <laughs> I really want to work hard. It really is this idea of entitlement, um, right? So it, it's it's not true to, and I don't think it's I don't think it's good. Actually, I think it's dangerous 
for Christians because we're just telling them that their works mean nothing, that their faith and heart really mean nothing because in the end you go to heaven. And most people, um, because of like fear-based preaching, most people want to get saved to avoid hell as opposed to looking forward to fellowship with God, which is what we should be looking forward to. Yeah. Right. Am I, am I crazy here? No, you're not crazy. Okay. So it's that focus on focus on the sin or focusing on Christ. Right. Exactly. So a lot of people back to that, what I was saying, a lot of people want to shirk responsibility, which is why they want to believe in this. It's emotionally secure, right? Um, because they think of their son or their daughter, their father, their mother, their auntie, their whatever. And they believe that all these people who may have rejected Christ later on in life, they want to so badly believe that they're still saved and going, that they will see them one day in heaven. And I get that. You don't want to think about them being judged by God, but I think it's better for us to be textually honest than to be emotionally comfortable. In fact, I think that's the whole point of work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Okay. It's a scary thing. Stay at, stay the course, right? That's why would you not want to remain faithful? If you truly believed in God and you really had salvation, wouldn't you want to be faithful and work indeed? That's why he says, if you love me, you keep my commandments. Yeah. I think if you're really passionate about the gospel and you truly believe that, that Jesus Christ is going to save you from your sins, then why would you want to have this emotional belief that there's nothing else? You're good. Like, you don't have to try any harder. Like, shouldn't you be excited about it? Shouldn't you just want to continue to focus on your faith? I remember when I got saved at 17. That was the moment. And I remember all the stuff I was doing, I started feeling really bad about it all. And I started being under deep conviction, and I didn't want to do those things. And when I did do those things or fell into those things, I felt horrible afterwards Mm -hmm. because I wanted to obey God's commands. So uh, now let's go to John 15. John 15, which is vines and abiding in Christ, more vegetation uh, examples. (laughs) Um, It was an agrarian society. (laughs) They needed some examples (laughs) that they understood. (laughs) So... John 15, though, I think is also a slam dunk. Uh, Verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Remain in me. Remain in me, by the way. Remain in me, and I in you, just as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, but must remain in the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. Sounds like he's warning you here. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him bears much fruit. Far apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown away like a branch and dries up and they gather them and they throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. (laughs) So prove to be my disciples? Maybe, like, test your faith? Um, Just as the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that you might, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. That's legalism, Jesus. <laughs> it's expecting you to act right. That's legalism. Has anyone? <laughs> but notice some very important things to mention here. How can one remain in Christ, then leave Christ? Jesus is speaking as if it is possible to be in him and then to leave him. 
He is warning us that if we break away from him, we will be cut off and burned. And I've heard some people say that this cut off and burned is, is you know, re- referring to like in Philippians where your your not good works are burned up and only your good works remain, as and that kind of contributes to your gifts in heaven. But that that sure seems like it's a different type of analogy of being burned up. Yeah, that yeah, that, that sounds would... like destruction. That sounds well, like hell. Plus, it means you're using Paul's uh, word picture in Philippians to try to justify Jesus's own word picture and. Paul's specifically talking about like, hey, your your useless deed, good deeds don't don't get you into heaven. It's faith. Like mm-hmm. that's his whole point. So all that stuff will be burned up, and in the end, basically, what's going to be is your good is not vanity, but that which was good and faithful. Mm-hmm. That's what he says will remain. This here, Jesus is talking about simply who's part of me. Are you in me? Am I in you? Like this is a different context. This isn't yeah. your the usefulness of your works. This is being in me, abiding, right? I'm abiding in you. Actually, one of my favorite hymns of all time is Abide With Me. Um, love that song. But anyway, if he says right here, but also notice how he's equating this as well, keeping his commandments and bearing fruit because to have faith in him is one of the commandments. But also, if you have faith, faith in him, you also are, will be faithful to him and do everything you can to live in his glorious light. It does not mean you'll be perfect, mm-hmm. but it does mean, holy crap, I am trying. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know, like, and I, which is what Romans seven kind of gets at. Yeah, it's not kicking back and going, eh, said my prayer, I'm good. Yep, yep. So he's, <laughs> I'll sin so that grace may abound. Much how the unbelieving Jews were cut off, and how he promises the lake of fire to anyone who does not believe. If you read verse six again, this seems to be a clear reference to hell, that being burned. So notice again, there's a certain amount of works directly related to salvation. This doesn't mean one work one works their way to heaven. This means that they will know you by your fruit. Or in other words, if you have faith in God, your life will reflect a certain amount of faithfulness to him in word and deed. At least some amount of improvement will take place. And sometimes that takes a long time. Like I mm-hmm. said, your results may vary. <laughs> but, yeah, um, but bottom line is, if you have faith, you will be faithful. And that goes um, along with being able to, sh- to test your faith. Right. Right. So, um, but again, he's not saying that works are required for salvation, but he does say here that if you do not bear, if you do not abide in him, I should say, if you do not abide in him, you will be cut off and burned. So he's not talking about obedience there. He's talking about abiding, right? If your faith is not in him. So the, the issue is if we spin this any other way, we're taking the bite out of the warning passages. This is one of my biggest issues with a hardcore once saved, always saved doctrine or perseverance of the saints, which just believes that they were never really saved to begin with. Yeah. Um, that kind of approach. Because the issue is if we spin that those ways, we are taking the absolute bite out of the warning. There's no reason to be, have warnings. It's just filler. Right, it, right. It doesn't make much sense to, to be warning anyone anything outside of warning hell for unbelief. You don't mm-hmm. put your faith in me at some point in your life you're going to hell. That would, that would be the more of the message we see. But instead, we see a lot of warning passages. Yeah. Um, Matthew. Well, then, then you have these degrees. We'll get into a little bit with Hebrews 10. But you have these degrees that don't make sense if you're already unsaved. If, right. Okay, well, what's worse than hell? Are we following Dante's Inferno? Are there multiple circles of hell that I have to right. worry about? Or is it just hell or eternal life? Right. Now, notice in Matthew 13 as well, 3 through 9, is the parable of the sower. And he told them many things in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow, and he sowed some seeds, fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. 
Others fell on the rocky places where they did not have much soil, and they sprang up immediately because they had no depth of soil. But after the sun rose, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. But others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop, some hundred, some sixty, some thirty times as much. The one who has ears, let him hear. So it is important to also note in this that notice how he says some of them 60, some of them 30. So in other words, results might vary, mm-hmm. right? The results will vary, but there will be something. <laughs> there will be growth. That's what I'm saying. Now you can be like, well, how much growth will? Like, can you get specific there? Because I know some people get really pedantic at that point. <laughs> um, it doesn't say, just as you'll be known by your fruits. And I'm not going to go beyond what Jesus says there. I'm just going to say, be faith, put your faith and trust in him and be faithful to him and strive toward the mark of Jesus Christ. Just email us. We'll tell you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll tell you everything. <laughs> no, so, we won't. Now, notice in Matthew, 18, uh, Matthew 13 here, Jesus is being cryptic as to the meaning. But he later on clarifies in the same passage, starting in verse 18. Then he says, listen then to the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. So we see Satan working directly against him. The, um, the word of the kingdom or the seed that is being spread in the parable of the sower represents the gospel, right? The gospel, the message of Jesus Christ. So when people, um, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom but does not understand it, like these people are just completely not taking it in, it's saying that Satan is working against them. This is the one sown with seed beside the road. The one sown with seed on the rocky places, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution occurs because of the word, immediately he falls away. The one sown with seed among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, and the anxiety of the world and the deceitfulness of, the we- of wealth choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. But the one sown with seed on the good soil is the one who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some hundred and some 60 and some 30 times as much. So he's giving a parallel of the different types of people. So people don't understand it. He, he gives it to Satan, probably because of the philosophies of the world, right? Evil philosophies, wrong philosophies. Um, they don't understand it. They don't get it. They don't latch onto it. That's Satan working. Okay. But then he says, hey, those who are sown on the rocky places, those And keep in mind, this, the growing here represents your faith, right? Mm -hmm. So these ones go, it springs up right away. Your faith springs up right away. But but once persecution or anything happens, it withers away and it's gone. It was only temporary. They're only temporarily in the faith. It was only, they weren't saved for forever. (laughs) So in other words, they had it and they rejected it, okay? They had never had it. Yeah, they, well, they were never saved to begin with. Well, then, then what was the growing? Then what was growing? And what's the difference with the, the first category? Right. <laughs> then what, yeah, and then what's the difference between the Satan category and the on the choke, uh, being choked by the thorns category? Why is there this category? Oh, these are those who believe, but they never really believed. Oh, well, that seems to kind of get rid of the whole point of they grew and it was temporary. <laughs> so they can reject it. Um, but then notice that those who are fruitful and those who are faithful, those who abide in him are fruitful and they produce uh, a lot here. So the seed here is clearly the gospel, the truth of God given to men. And again, notice how there's a person who received it with joy, but has no firm rooting and ends up falling away as soon as things get difficult. He says it's only temporary. And I think that's important because we see that a lot. 
a lot of the things where we're pushing just, oh, say this prayer, repeat after me, oh, do this, you're good. A lot of those people are not firmly rooted. There is no discipleship. There is no working with, and they just fall away. And I think that parallels well with the Second Peter reference we just had. Right, it does. That's why we put this in this order, actually. <laughs> um, so too often, uh, so, all right, real quick. If we are to take Jesus's interpretation straightforwardly, and he is speaking forwardly here because yeah, he's, he's clarifying, at, he's giving clarification, then we are to understand that this person forfeited their faith after receiving it with joy. So too often, I think we ask the question, can we lose our salvation? That's not the right question, I don't think. Salvation isn't something we drop along the way, like we lose a pair of keys that God steals from you, okay, that he misplaced for you. It's something that we forfeit, we give away. We are to have faith, test that we have faith, and that's the condition. If we have faith, then, but then forfeit it, I didn't lose salvation. I simply forfeited it. I rejected the gift. I cast it away. Make more sense? Yeah. Okay. So now let's start getting to Hebrews because <laughs> this is the, well, a lot of people go to Hebrews right away, which I think is fine, but I think it's good to show that the Bible kind of has this theme throughout. You can also see this in the book of Numbers at the end when a bunch of people start like turning against Moses, who were once faithful to God, who now stopped being faithful to God. Or what about those people who were, who started worshiping the golden calf and all these things like you read through, it's like, no, there's definitely people who turned away from that, that faith that they once had. Yeah. They didn't have to, it doesn't have to say it, they, it the, it's implied throughout, right? Like Absalom, you know, betraying his father, things like that. You're like, well, was he saved before? Well, I assume because he was, you know, raised this way and, but at some point he made a decision. So anyway, well, Hebrews. Yeah, we've, and we've had now Jesus's words and Paul's words coming up to this point. So And Peter's. It's, and Peter's. So we're not just basing this on the unknown author of Hebrews, and that's right. a fun debate for another day. Right. So the entire book of Hebrews is an apologetic to the Jews. You know, well, actually, uh, you've taught through the book of Hebrews now twice. Why don't you, why don't you explain it a little yeah, bit? Yeah, you have Jews that are being persecuted, which should sound familiar because we were just reading about that with the parable of the seeds. They're going, shoot, did we believe in the wrong Messiah? Because all these Jews are still not believing like we are, and we're being made fun of it. We're being persecuted for this faith, and they're going... We see Gentile inclusion now. That wasn't what we expected. We're seeing, um, we're not seeing uh, this earthly kingdom that the Messiah is ruling over. We're, we're still under Roman rule. What gives? So they're having some doubt. And this author is going to swoop in and give them one of the most eloquently put books in the entire Bible um, as a step-by-step -step example of why why Jesus is the Messiah, why Jesus is God, why Jesus is, um, had to be man, and all the things that they have to do and what they already know, and everything is being based on Old Testament Scripture, 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 Scripture. You knew this. You knew this. You knew this. It's really well done, especially from the framework of the Jewish readers. Right. So, again, the audience is Jewish, and there's a lot of Jewish references in here. Like, probably this, Revelation, and Matthew are some of your most Jewish books uh, in the New Testament. Um, but I think Hebrews takes the cake. And if you take the perspective that you have some Jews that are being persecuted and wonder if Jesus is actually the true Messiah, but sounds like they're, they're practicing Christians who right. are exhibiting fruits of the Spirit, if that isn't a concern that they can walk away from that, then the entire book of Hebrews is pointless. <laughs> so true. Because uh, the author could have been like, verse one, once saved, always saved, duh. Stop worrying about it. You're good. 
Right. And so there's a lot of, in this book you run into, um, so this whole thing is really about, hey, stay in Christ. Don't go back to the, to the Judaism that you are surrounded by, by the Judaizers and whatnot. Yeah. Stay in Christianity, essentially. Stay in this, this form of Judaism, because Christianity really is just the continuation of Judaism. Yeah, it's it really the new is. covenant. The old covenant's passing away. It was just a shadow. It was not perfect. The shadow of the things to come and all mm -hmm. that. So, um, so works of righteousness also is another thing you'll hear in this, because that's a Jewish reference. As I mentioned, the works of righteousness Judaically means fulfilling the righteous works of the Torah. It's not necessarily not something you do, right? Because faith is something you do, but it's talking specifically about the works of the Torah, right? Works of righteousness. However, the point is about remaining in Christ, the identity in Christ, and not leaving Christ, and not leaving that faith, which is a weird thing to push if once saved, always saved were true. <laughs> it's a weird thing to push. Um, because otherwise you'd be like, well, they believed in Christ once, I guess we're good, right? Like, hey, guys, try to, we really wish you were here at church with us, but <laughs> if not, continue on. You know, it's cool to be a Christian, and yeah. you're saved even if you just do synagogues and you don't worry about the Christian fellowship. Yeah, because you're from that root. Your branches can't be cut off, right? <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, now we've come full circle. All right, so... Hebrews 2, 1 through 4 says this, For this reason we must pay much closer attention to that which we have heard, so that we do not drift away from it. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, and every violation and act of disobedience received a just punishment, how will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? After it was at first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. God also testifying with them, both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. So he compares the importance of obedience and disobedience. And basically it tells us that we can't neglect this great salvation because of, the of what disobedience brings, which is, of course, justice, right? So because, but he mentions all this while also mentioning that we don't drift away. Drift away from what? Drift away from what? The truth? but namely salvation. He's talking about salvation here. Mm -hmm. So drift away from what? The faith in Jesus Christ, your salvation. <laughs> so if you drift away from that, what is it? So the problem is that we want to create 400 categories here. Well, there's faith in Jesus, but then also you're still saved, but you don't necessarily like, you can you could reject Jesus afterwards, but didn't you, then you just really weren't saved to begin with, unless you're my child, in which case you reject him, but deep down I know you're saved because it makes me feel good so I can sleep at night. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's just this weird, a lot of inconsistency. Can we just be consistent? And I'm just saying this as somebody who was a staunch, once saved, always saved person. Like, I was so staunch. I The more I read these, I was like, I feel like I'm being dishonest with all these other interpretations because yeah. um, it seems like you have to get into 400 different categories and start shifting around as opposed to just taking for when they're speaking plainly, take them plainly. Well, um, it's good to point out, too, this drift away is essentially a nautical term. Like, picture a boat unmoored to the dock and just slowly drifting out to sea. And eventually what happens, oh, another nautical term, yeah, it becomes shipwrecked. So, but if it drifts away from the dock, it was never on the dock to begin with. Yeah, it, the dock was just an illusion. Right, it was, they just <laughs> thought they were, they were docked, but they weren't docked ever. Um, they were never on, on the dock also, or, or, or they're still docked. <laughs> no, no, but it drifted yeah, away. But no, no, they're asleep. still docked. <laughs> They'll come back. We can't see it right now. It's over the horizon. but <laughs> Right. So he compares the importance of, so again, uh, let's see, drift away here, like I said, is a nautical term. All right. But, okay. Hebrews 3. I want to take this one. Yeah. So Hebrews 3, 12 through 15. Take care, brothers and sisters, that there will not be any, any of you evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. 
but encourage one another every day as long as it's still called today so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we keep the beginning of our commitment firm until the end while it is said. And then it goes on. Oh, so this is another one of those like, okay, still seems pretty clear here, right? So we encourage, um, so uh, right there, uh, that there not be an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. Yeah, that's so, that drifting away. It's leading to something worse. Right. So if I'm, if I believe, and then he, he's talking, you know, remember, he's talking to these people who are Christians, pulling, being, trying to pull back into uh, the, uh, to Judaism, essentially. It is going, let, hey, careful, lest one of you drift away from the living God, and there's an evil, unbelieving heart now among you, right? That's what he's saying here. It's like, you could drift away. Keep uh, the beginning of the unbelief. commitment through till the end. Right. Exactly. And then, for we have been partakers of Christ if, there's a contingency again, if we keep the beginning of our commitment firm until the end. So if you're a believer, you better hang on to it, man. Don't not be a believer. So he acknowledges them as brothers and sisters. So they're Christians here. Notice that. That's also important. Now, somebody might say, well, he's referring to those brothers and sisters because they're of Abraham. Um, Even if you take that, it still doesn't say one save always saved. <laughs> right. It's still, it's like either way, either one creates problems. So, but warn, it for, creates problems for one saved, always saved, I should say. But he warns them that they should be careful of evil and unbelieving hearts that fall away from the living God, meaning that they were once part of the living God. They were docked, okay? Otherwise, we have Ephesians 2, right? That they're, they're dead in their trespasses and sin. They are separated from God. Or are they falling away from the living God? Which is it? Right. So how can one fall away from God if it's once saved, always saved? Salvation is literally fellowship with God, salvation from hell and deliverance to the Lord. And the church called it the deification of man, by the way, uh, to be uh, saved uh, and to experience fellowship with God. They call it deification of man. Um, now, a lot of people at the, don't like that term from the early church because it makes it sound like we're, we're gods, but that's not what they're trying to get at there. So meaning they just mean that they're in fellowship with the Lord. But also, this idea of falling away is another reason discipleship and fellowship are so important. It's why I push discipleship all the time. Discipleship, apologetics, these are things that I do in my regular life when I'm not on here on the internet world, okay? And hopefully that this internet world thing I'm doing is a form of discipleship to you. I mean, that's what my, the goal, right? Yeah. So, but again, there is an if being presented here, which is a condition. You have become partakers of Christ if they keep what was their original commitment until the end. So now let's get to, uh, I think, your favorite passage on this, right? Yes. Hebrews 6, 1 through 6. Now, again, he's talking to Jews who are thinking about going back to Judaism. So he says this, Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. So remember, the whole thing of repentance from dead works and faith toward God, he's saying that's elementary. That's that's child's play, okay? We're past that. Yeah, he just lambasted him at the end of chapter 5. <laughs> yeah, he's just, look, guys, we're, we're moving on from that elementary stuff. Of course, one has to have faith in God, and of course, your dead works in the law don't make you saved, okay? Um, he says, of instructions, of hand washing and laying on of hands, so we have that, we have reference to mikvah here, and again, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment, okay? That's elementary, that's childish. And this we will do, if God permits, for it is impossible, 
In the case of those who have once been enlightened, have tasted the heavenly gift, and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the good work, work, uh, word and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they again crucify to themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. For ground, for ground that drinks the rain, which often falls on it and produces vegetation and useful to those for whose sake is it is also tilled, receives a blessing from God. But if it yields thorns and thistles, it is worthless and close to being cursed, and it ends up being burned. Uh-oh. So um, I think the, the, notice the analogy again here at the end is that we are thrown on the ground, and it has begun to grow, and once yielded fruit, for, uh, fruit, and the other one was yielded thorns. Notice how that's like a consistent... I feel like I've heard that before. We're seeing here, because now the argument, and I, I know Tommy will make a similar argument to this when he does his response to us, is that this is referring to Jews not accepting the new covenant, right? It's referring to Jews not accepting Messiah. However, then why is it that he's still continually using the same themes and the same analogies that Peter used, that Jesus used? This is a, it seems to be a regular theme in the Judaic uh, and Messianic communities, which is the idea of agriculture being cast away, being burned, being cut off, things like that, uh, being pruned. But notice also, he says, it it, it, these are things that are, in, that are important to say. He says, it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, past tense, have tasted of the heavenly gift, have been partakers of the Holy Spirit. We say only believers have the Holy Spirit. Well, they were partakers of it and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they again crucify themselves the Son of God. And this is the same phrasing we already had earlier in the chapter about falling away, drifting away, right? An evil heart will cause this, and you need to have the same faith that you had at the beginning to continue through to the end. So this all in context seems to make sense, right? They're questioning if Jesus is the Messiah, they're not sure if they made the right choice. They're thinking about going back. And he's saying, I hope that you go on to maturity if God permits. So why would God not permit that? Well, he would not permit it if they reject him. <laughs> right, exactly. So um, notice also, again, the past tense throughout. Notice again here. He says that you can't restore them again to repentance. And remember, repentance is a changing of mind, one's mind, going from unbelief to belief. So he says if they do, if they reject, if they reject this covenant, it is impossible to bring them back. Now there's differentiation between what impossible means here. Impossible, like the standard, a uh, pretty Arminian uh, position, this is the position you take, is that it is completely impossible right? You cannot come back. You reject it. It's done. You're, that's, that is the unpardonable sin. You, you accepted the covenant. Now you have rejected the covenant. Mm -hmm. You spat in God's face. So he's going to look at you and spew you out of his mouth. Essentially, that's, that's that position. The other position is that's a hyperbolic impossible, meaning that it is basically, man, it's like impossible to climb Mount Everest. Well, it's not actually impossible. People have done it. So it's mm -hmm. highly unlikely. Either way, <laughs> it doesn't really matter to me which way that's interpreted because either way, it means that if you reject God, you're not saved. If you, re if you accept the covenant and then you forfeit said covenant, you're toast. Yeah. And it's kind of a weird sense of structure, too. So it's good to, like, kind of... I've, I've used colors with some people when I've been teaching this. Just I think it kind of helps. But it says, for it's impossible, then describes previously saved people 
And then what happens? They fall away, and then what's impossible? To be restored to repentance again. Restored to repentance, we would say, is, is part of the salvific process. Repentance, then faith. So um, they can't do that again. That's why I take this the stance. Cause I, I believe people are right when they say, well, if you think you can lose your salvation, you can't get it back. And I agree. I don't take that, I, I don't take that stance where you can just lose it and keep getting it back. And I think that's why it says they'd be crucifying Christ unto themselves again, right? They would essentially require for the sin that they've committed, which is rejection of the Holy Spirit, to be covered by the blood of Christ would require a second sacrifice from Christ to cover already this covered. unforgivable sin that is excluded, because Jesus says so, from the blood of the cross from Jesus. So... And then the objection here, what it's saying that it's referring to Israel and not about our salvation, it still lands in the, with the same problem in this yeah. passage. It still lands there because if Israel can be the people of God who were faithful yet fell away, then it's not once saved, always saved. Um, you can't also say if Israel can be the people of God here, well then... So Israel once tasted the Holy Spirit, uh, tasted the heavenly gift. Okay, great. But it still means that those people had fallen away. That, so what couldn't have been once saved, always saved? Because if it's once saved, always saved, the people wouldn't have fallen away. Um, they would have stayed faithful. So referring to Israel, and when especially we talk about branches and going back to that again, he's referring back to that. You're seeing throughout when he's saying, don't fall away, don't neglect this great salvation. He also taught, and how we... And that's what he says, like, don't neglect this great salvation. You know, we must pay closer attention to the things we've heard. So he's talking to individuals here. So I think to make it about a nation, just to avoid his very very pointed discussion to these Jewish believers, I think is to try to distort the passage just to keep a doctrine that many people love instead of just accepting what he is so clearly saying. Yeah, and I think even earlier in the book, he sets up this parallel, right, talking about the Israelites who don't make it to Canaan, right? They have strong faith. They're exiting Egypt. They're like, rah, 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 that's awesome. Thank you, God. They walk through the Nile, right? And then almost immediately they're like, ah, we don't have anything to drink or eat, and they freak out. And eventually they listen to the lies of these spies, and they go, yeah, there's giants. We can't, they can't, can't, we can't go to Canaan. It's, it's, too, it's too scary. We don't believe that God can fulfill this promise he gave to us. They essentially reject this salvation of the promised land, and they don't get to go, right? except a couple people. And it's, be, it's because they rejected it. They rejected the gift. They, they had this unbelief. And he sets this up and goes, don't do what your ancestors did. This is an even greater gift. This is an even greater salvation than what was the land of Canaan. And look, you're in Canaan right now. <laughs> right. You, somebody made it right? So, and they made it through faith. So don't make this same mistake again, because they started with faith and they fell away and they did not persevere to the end. And that's why they didn't make it to Canaan. They listened to the lies. So it's a really interesting parallel he sets up to prove to them that they already understand this big oof. <laughs> right. Um, so again, notice how also um, he is talking here about uh, about they are called dead works. So this is because we are saying that works don't save you, right? We, we agree, works don't save you. So before people accuse us of that, well, will you believe you lose because of works? No, we don't. Works are evidence of the faith within. They're the evidence of. They're not the thing that produces the faith. They're the evidence of the faith. One doesn't do good works to be saved. One is saved, therefore they do good works, okay? So don't get it backwards. <laughs> um, clearly, it is describing 
one that was saved. And he's telling them not to because if you do, it is impossible for you to come back. That is the warning. Don't do it. If it was talking about Israel, okay, well, then Israel saved because they once believed and now they all get to be saved. Like, <laughs> it just doesn't make a lot of sense there. Yeah. Hebrews 10, 26 to 31. For if we go on, go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Uh-oh. But as terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has ignored the law of Moses is put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will, ju will, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So this kind of goes back to Peter's point, which is it is better to never have known the truth than to have heard it and then to ignore it. The idea of deliberate sin is the idea of rejecting the goodness of God and his commands as well, right? So we have here someone who is rejecting God and like you already explained how you would be needing another sacrifice because you were covered under it, but then you removed yourself from the covering. Now another sacrifice would have to cover you, right? Mm -hmm. That's kind of the point that he's getting at here. Um, do you want to expound on this at all? Yeah, so and like it says, it says in verse 26, where if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, right? So there's, there's this delineation of before and after. So I don't think you could say this is just talking to unsaved people because, well... What, what knowledge of truth have they received? That's, this is using an idiom describing salvation. This describes entering um, and being in Christ. So if it's, and if it's a warning to, to believers and one saved always saved is true, then what is it warning of? What, are, what, are, what is at risk? Because it says you're trampling underfoot the Son of God here. Well, I guess you could say all believers do that to some extent, but there's it's setting up this differentiation that this is worse somehow. Why is it worse? Well, if it's just unbelievers being unbelievers being unbelievers, then hell is hell is hell. What's the difference? But if it's you were saved and now have rejected it and now are no longer saved, well, that does sound worse because the people that aren't saved have this potential for salvation through repentance and belief. If you have already gone through repentance and belief and now reject it, there, in my opinion, no longer remains an ability for you to re-accept that salvation. You have forfeited it for good. You have committed the unforgivable sin that Jesus talks about. Right. So, sorry, I was just checking Twitter because people are being stupid. All right. So notice his next words also in verse 32. But remember the former days when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings. And then he refers to salvation as being enlightened here. So he's calling back to calling them back to remember that what they endured and encouraging them to keep enduring. In other words, not to throw away their faith. If this is a warning to sinners that, that are unsaved, what more severe punishment is there than already being damned for sin in the first place? So it doesn't make sense. Um, so if this is a warning to Christians, then there is also potential to lose something or have a consequence, and it doesn't appear to be just fewer treasures in heaven either. This seems to be saying if you leave, this is going to have detrimental eternal consequences for you. Yeah, it's setting up a way worse punishment than... What they're saying what was happened on the, the word of two or three witnesses right. um, in their past. Right. 
So now moving forward in 1 Corinthians 5, it says, it is actually reported that there is immorality among you and immorality of such kind that does not exist even among the Gentiles. You nasty. That someone has his father's wife, you have become arrogant and not mourned instead so that the one who has done this deed would be removed from your midst. For I, on my part, though absent in body, but present in spirit, have already judged him who has committed this as though I were present. In the name of the Lord Jesus, when you are assembled, and I with you in spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus, I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of Jesus Christ. Now, this has a lot of varying interpretations, but um, because some because that is vague, right? Starting on a Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of Jesus. Um, however, I just think it is important for us to note that he is delivered to Satan. That's not doesn't sound like somebody who's exemplifying <laughs> Christ likeness, um, belonging to Satan. You're being surrendered to Satan, uh, the the ruler of this world. So Ephesians, uh, someone might say objection in Ephesians 1, 13 through 14, it says in him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who has given us, given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view of the, re to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. So a lot of people look at that and go, see, we are sealed though, but you have to be in him to do it. So it's right there in him, you are sealed. It goes back to the idea of no one can pluck you out of your father's hand. Okay. You're you're sealed. God seals you, but you must be a partaker of the covenant. It means you have to be in him. Well, what does that mean? In John 15, we get the idea that this is all about having faith in him. If you don't have faith in him, you don't abide in him. If you yeah. don't have faith in him, you don't obey him. Well, I think we have problems sometimes with this verse too, because we have different interpretation of what it means to be sealed. Like some people say, oh, well, sealed, it's sealed. You can't break that seal. See, so one saved, always saved. But I look at it more as it's, it's, it's really talking about, like, it's a mark. It's an evidence of salvation, evidence of being in Christ. It's not saying that's unbreakable. It's saying that you are marked. It is obvious that you are in Christ. You know, we see other points where, you know, you're so different while being in Christ that people are going to ask you about your faith. That's, oh, right. And that is the good works that are flowing from being in Christ and having faith. Right, and it's a seal, right? Like in the first century, that would be a wax seal. Mm -hmm. It's a seal, something that shows that you are. So don't, and you can break a seal. <laughs> um, that's, how they're, they're, that's how they had to open the letters. They sorry, had to open buddy. the seal. <laughs> um, so uh, sealing doesn't mean unbreakable. It means being marked. Uh, so some side points here we wanted to talk about. There won't be atheists in heaven. So John 3.36 makes this very clear. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. Yeah, so belief is a condition of salvation, which I don't think anyone would really argue with, um, even very staunch Calvinists. Um, but through faith, eternal life is promised. Faith is that condition. Rejection of the blood of Christ does not cover them, and then they are still under wrath so that they do not get to avoid wrath because the blood of Christ is not covering their sins. God the Father isn't looking at you anymore and seeing the perfectness, pureness of Christ. He's seeing a sinner deserving of wrath, someone who is separated from God. So I think we just see a really clear distinction here. In my opinion, this is really obvious, there are no atheists in heaven because they are True. not meeting the condition of salvation. Whether they never did or they did and no longer do, I think the end result is still the same. Right. So if it's free will to be in, it's free will to be out. Angels left heaven, and they are spiritual beings, not flesh like us. They also have free will to leave, though, and so do we. They left heaven. 
if angels can leave heaven, I'm pretty sure you can leave your covenant. I'm just going to throw that out there. Um, and so, we're in the flesh, and we know that it's weak. What, is, what are the angels' excuse? <laughs> right. Um, and I'll admit that was more a rhetorical point, but I still think it's, a, it's an interesting point to ponder. So when people have the, uh, leave the faith, if we, and this is the thing. So we saw Rhett and Link leave the faith. We've seen um, Marty Sampson leave the faith. That's what actually put us on the map was that, was that episode. Um, we've seen uh, quite a few other people uh, leave the faith. So um, it, we've Yeah, seen, Joshua Harris. Right. I have him as an example. Right, of that. yeah. We have plenty of people who've left the faith. So we've had people that leave the faith. So when people leave the faith, if we just say that they were never saved, but to begin with, but these people are convinced that they were. Like, Rhett and Link were like, dude, we were Christians. And if you ever listened to their stuff beforehand, they were. They, like, I mean, everything they said was like, yep, 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 yep. For kind of love, they were missionaries. They did it for years. And then some little things came creeping in and started mm -hmm. slowly making them drift away. So remember, it only takes the faith of a mustard seed. Only a little bit of faith to move mountains, right? Only a little bit of faith to justify you. But if you drift away, there's the problem. Yet they are, so these people are convinced that they were Christians. My next question is, are we not to believe them? Are we not to say that, oh, no, man, you never believed. You never believed in Jesus. Well, that's like, can you imagine how gaslighting that must feel when you drift away? Like when Eric Skorzynski left the faith, I never said, you were never a believer. I was just like, yeah, you went apostate. Yeah. Now, that's not because I'm trying to be a jerk. It's just the term we use. That means that someone left, right? Mm -hmm. Apostatize. It has a negative connotation, so I get why people it don't like it. probably should have ne negative consequences. Yeah, exactly. So are we, not, but are we not to believe them? Like, dude, I had many chats about... Eric's faith with him and then all of a sudden that all happened but I've had many conversations he was a believer so are we just to just doubt them I feel like all you're doing is gaslighting them so all you're going to do is frustrate them when they say no I was a believer I was a believer I, I did believe all that I just think it's wrong I think it's garbage and then you have to that's when you should sharpen your iron a little bit learn some apologetics and learn how to start battling for your faith but then also if these people are absolutely convinced that they believed in God absolutely convinced that they were saved, that they believe in Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection, then how does one even know that they are saved to begin with? Because how you can't really know then. Because mm -hmm. you right now could be super convinced that you are saved. Yeah, no, I am saved. I'm saved. But how do you know? Because Rhett and Link were just as sure. So is Eric Skorzynski. So were all these other people. They're just as sure that they were saved and that they believed in Jesus. They all believe that they were Christians. So do you know? Because you could just be as deceived as them. You don't really know that. You don't. So they don't really have, uh, you just could have be, you could just believe it's all an illusion, right? It could just be you thought you did, but you never really did, which doesn't make a lot of sense because thought is literally the way we, you, we interact with reality. Yeah, and Paul is telling the Corinthians that they can test to see if they are in the faith. So that must be known. So either you have to, if you accept one save, always saves, you have to gaslight in one of two ways in order to stay consistent. Either you say, nope, you're wrong. You didn't realize that you weren't saved this whole time. You're dumb. You're an idiot. You didn't understand. Or no, you're, you're dumb and an idiot right now because you are still saved. You just don't realize it. Don't, don't, you should listen to me and I'm going to tell you that you are actually saved. And they're going, what are you talking about? You make me feel like I'm losing my mind right now. And that is what gaslighting is. Right. So, because you're denying the reality. You're denying yeah. reality and you're inserting a new one. You're not taking their word for it and you are telling them what they think. Right. <laughs> How so, arrogant are you? Because those who left the faith are convinced that they once believed it wholeheartedly. We also believe it wholeheartedly. So how do you know your wholehearted faith is more legitimate than theirs? By testing it and by keeping your faith. That's, that's all there is to it. Meanwhile, 
Mine O'Brien's position means that one can know that they are saved because it's not just a singular event, it's a continual faith. In fact, if you actually read a lot of the faith that is like salvation, I should say, is oftentimes in the future tense. It's meaning that you, you, you're, you will be saved. So it's a continual faith, a belief in God and the resurrection for sins. So a few things to note. Apostasy, what we're talking about here, is not being angry at God. No. It's not having a crisis of faith. So, you know, you having doubts and questions and all that, that is okay. That is, a, that is the mire. But that doesn't mean that you did a full rejection of the covenant, saying, nope, I am not a believer. I refuse to ever believe it again, and I hate anything to do with God. We see those atheists all the time. You said earlier, it's not something that you're just going to, like, accidentally drop salvation out of your pocket. Right. right? It's, it's like I don't it's think it's an easy keys. thing to do. I think this is actually a pretty difficult and explicit thing that you do. It's not like, oh, I accidentally, I guess I don't believe anymore. I think you can accidentally start heading that direction, and that is the drifting away that he. And that's when you need to do a self, like you need to go. Okay, should do. Am I going to go down this road? I've talked to people who are like, yeah, I know. I remember drifting, and then when I got there, I had to make a decision. Mm -hmm. Am I going to do this or am I not? Um, So it is also not backsliding and falling into sin. Romans seven makes that pretty clear. You can't sin your way out of salvation. Okay, Um, it is not a time of unrepentant sin either, because we've all done foolishness. Okay. But how, in many parts, uh, Paul talks about surrendering people to Satan and a shipwreck of their faith. And I think we're going to get to that here in a minute. But how do you answer a situation like Joshua Harris? So that's a, a legitimate question I want you guys to ask yourself, which is he's the author of I Kiss Dating Goodbye. For all possible evidence, he was acting like a saved individual, possessing spiritual gifts and doing good work. But now he's an outspoken atheist. Yeah. So is this an example of someone just fooling everyone and just... Yep, he was never saved, and he was just pretending. And he, and is Christianity so easy to mimic? Like, what is the Holy Spirit actually doing if it's so easy to just pretend to be a Christian? I was like, oh, yep, he's saved too. Yep, and then, oh, I'm an atheist. Oh, yep, you were never saved. Um, or is this an example of true apostasy? Is this or is this, or is he still saved? Are you going? Oh no, you're wrong, right? These just those two sides of it just don't make sense. He was never saved. He's still saved. When you're talking about someone who's like, I was a Christian and now I'm an atheist. I do not believe. I reject God exists. I reject salvation. I reject Jesus. They might even say, I don't even think Jesus maybe even existed, right? You go all the way to that spectrum. I don't see how you could just say, well, they, they still believe. They're, they're still in Christ. Um, so, again, I would say only God knows. So it's probably best for us to just take them at their word. Right. I think that's so, the only consistent thing that you right. can do. So then you got to ask yourself, is this an example of true apostasy? Maybe. Maybe it is. Maybe it is. Maybe you, you've you been holding on to just a doctrine for no real reason besides that's what you were taught and you're scared of the, the other side. Um, and I know really good Christians that followed Joshua Harris and were all part of his seminar, uh, seminars and I think he planted churches and stuff. I don't know a lot about his history, but I know some really good Christians that were like, yeah, I'm. this guy is going down the right path. And now they're still good Christians, and they don't know how to answer this. Right. Because they're one saved, always saved, folks. I'm like, well, think about it. So I'm just challenging you guys. Right. Think about it. So, What's the most obvious answer here? And so really only God knows their people's hearts, but probably best to just take people at their word and judge their actions and what they say about themselves. So if they say, I'm no longer a believer, but I was once a believer, I'll take them at their word. Plus, once you acknowledge the fact that, wait, someone can't accept faith, I mean, not accept faith. Someone can have faith in God and accept the gift of salvation and then later on reject it. 
actually a thousand passages actually make a th way more sense. I don't have to play word gymnastics. I just go, oh, that's exactly what this is saying. There's so and many passages. I mean, I'm only picking a few in this. But there's so many that hint to it and or, or stay at pretty well outright. I, I think it makes salvation so much more of a jewel, so much so much more precious. It's something that you could reject, right? If it's something that you just like, oh, yep, I said a prayer, now I'm good. It, it, to me, it just it minimizes it. It flattens out the gospel. It it empties out the preciousness of what we are receiving. Right. So we should be focusing on it. And I think if you just are so flippant with it, like, yep, I'm good. Um, or someone was like, so this is so precious to me, and now they're like, I reject it. It's like, I don't. Well, then it, is it really precious? What is this thing that we're talking about? Is it something that we can even care about? So, right. So Charles Stanley, who is an ardent once saved, always saved person, these are some of the some quotes from him, and I think you guys just need to hear this. He says, even if a believer, for all practical purposes, becomes an unbeliever, his salvation is not in jeopardy. Believers who lose or abandon their faith. Will, remain, will retain their salvation. He also says, you and I are not saved because we have an enduring faith. We are saved because at a moment in time, we express faith in our enduring Lord. This, by the way, contradicts exactly what was said in Hebrews. But Paul says in 1 Timothy 1.18 that this command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight, keeping, oh, keeping faith and a good conscience, so not just a moment, but keeping it. Keeping faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Among those, there is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, so that they will be taught not to blaspheme. Does that sound like someone who saved you? Does shipwrecks float? No. I, what? But they're saved. Oh, no, it sinks. It's funny, even Rhett and Link, when they described their apostasy, they used a nautical references and analogies too. It's kind of interesting. Yeah, jumping off the ship and the uh -huh. whole nine. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of interesting how jumping that always into the sea of the unknown. They use a lot of that stuff. So yeah, right here. I mean, keeping faith. So he contradicts scripture, and this is what people. What happens a lot of times? I've noticed when people try to start justifying once they always save is you start playing gymnastics or ignoring particular parts. I feel like. Once saved, always saved, I don't think it's true. I don't think perseverance of the saints is true either because they just say that you were never saved to begin with. I'm mm -hmm. like, no, someone could forfeit their faith. That's a better way to put that. So notice he said keeping faith. And since they rejected to do so, they have now made a shipwreck of their faith. So again, shipwrecks don't float. They rejected it. They now belong to Satan. And remember, Jesus died and rose again to destroy sin and death, which was the power of the devil, Devil Hebrews 2.9. He broke that so that way he could redeem us from Satan's grip. He redeemed us from Satan. So now he's saying, well, I'm surrendering them back to Satan. <laughs> he can have them, <laughs> which tells you something pretty, pretty important here. So it would seem to be a shift in ownership here, right? So I'm sorry, Hebrews 2.14. I apologize. To be uh, not 2.9. But he said there seems to be a shift in ownership, ownership here from, from God and Christ to Satan. You can only serve one master. That was what he literally, you can only serve one master. Mm -hmm. So are you, is your faith in him or is it not? Right? So meanwhile, Paul says in Colossians 1, through 23, yet he has now reconciled you in his body of flesh through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. 
if contingency, indeed, you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast, meaning unmoving, and not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. I don't know how much clearer it gets than that statement by Paul, because I really feel like that kind of puts it perfectly. Hey, if you continue in faith, you, uh, your faith is firmly established, because in order to continue, it has to be firmly established and steadfast. And it says that not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard. Which is paralleling what Hebrews was saying. So even if you take the perspective that Hebrews is talking just about Israel, this is not talking just about Israel. Right, no, it's talking classy. <laughs> so um, we are absolutely saved because we continue in faith. And we can know that because we have faith. Those of us who have faith in God and have not rejected him, salvation is only given to those who believe. This is literally the condition for salvation. So I can have faith and trust, and I can, I can go through doubts and struggles, but it doesn't mean I reject it, right? My marriage can have a lot of struggles, but it doesn't mean I divorced her, mm -hmm. right? I can even go, man, I don't even know if you even truly, did you truly love me? Did we truly mean those words when we said those words? Um, those are doubts, but it does not mean that we were, aren't married, and it doesn't mean that uh, I can't reject her. I can. So, not that I ever would. My wife is lovely. <laughs> but uh, Jesus literally says this in Matthew 24, 13, too, that he says that you must endure. So, all proof texts for once saved, always saved, if you look at all of them, okay, just go through, start looking at them, um, because uh, there's also... Um, the John the verse in First John, which says they were left from us because they were not of us. Do we get to that? Do you yeah, we'll that get that in just a minute. Okay. I want so, I forgot to mention one thing from your um, your First Timothy reference. Oh yeah. We've gotten this question a few times. Like, just will show me where someone in the Bible rejected their faith. And it's like Paul just named two. He said they made a shipwreck of it. He literally named these he said, four shipwreck guys. of it, surrendered them to <laughs> Satan. You go, well, they, no, no, it doesn't say they lost their salvation. I'm like, oh my gosh, if that doesn't, we take more cryptic verses to say that Jesus is God, right? He says, I and my father are one. That's a cryptic verse, but that says right there, Jesus is God. Like I can look and go, oh, that's incarnation, mm -hmm. right? Well, if shipwreck of your faith and surrendered under Satan doesn't mean that, if that doesn't mean that you no longer belong to God, belong to God in Christ, I don't know what else does, because he literally yeah. says you were surrendered to Satan. <laughs> Another argument I hear here, here is like, well, that's Paul saying. It doesn't mean God did it. I'm like, so now Paul's words aren't inspired. Okay. So we're <laughs> Because you're quoting scripture here. <laughs> right. Like, whoo, man, we're really playing fast and loose now with the rules. Um, so. Be careful if, you're, if your theology systematic forces you to say things like that. You might be wrong. And that's okay to be wrong. Shift. Yeah. Yeah, it's dude. Find a more consistent interpretation. And when it's when someone proves it wrong, don't fight them. Just say thank you. <laughs> I've said thanks a lot. It's a humbling thing. Let me tell you, <laughs> I am stubborn. Um, anyway, so Second Timothy two ten uh, through thirteen. Oh, uh, for, sorry. Before I said that, I want to ma make sure I mention: if you look at all texts for once saved, always saved, they usually merely state that God's unending love, that God has unending love for us, or they're confusing categories. Just because God won't cast you out of his love doesn't mean we can't leave him like the prodigal son. The father still loved his son. The son just left. Okay. So 2 Timothy 2, 10 through 13. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain the, the salvation that is in Jesus Christ with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure... 
we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. And if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Many people go, see, right there, though. When he is faithless, when we are faithless, he is faithful. <laughs> Once saved, always saved, baby. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> but uh, I think you're kind of not getting the point. Um, because that would make no sense if he's talking about faith in Christ, right? Because he just says, if you deny him, he will deny you. Yeah, it creates a contradiction if you read it that way. Right, if you say, well, if he do deny, well, these are just people who denied the gospel to begin with. But then those who are faithless are those who accepted the gospel but are just really struggling in their faith or rejected him afterwards, but they didn't really fully reject him. But then he's still faithful to them with their weak little faith. <laughs> Remember when I said that faith and faithful, all those words mean both your belief and your work like they're they go hand in hand to have faith means you're faithful those in the first century especially took has had a very similar connotation that's what's being said here so when we are faithless in other words indeed because if we deny him he denies us so if i don't have my faith in him at all and i don't proclaim him at all and i deny him entirely he denies me but if i'm faithless in action if i struggle to live up to my end of the covenant I'm still in the covenant. I haven't denied him. I'm just struggling. I'm faithless. Well, then he's faithful to me. Yeah, and that's why I think we see Jesus being the mediator of our faith. That's what it's getting at. Bingo! So, for he cannot deny himself. So, again, notice the verse prior to this says, if you deny him, he will deny you. That's very important. So, when we are faithless, isn't referring to salvific faith, but rather faithfulness and obedience. Remember, again, in the first century, faith equals faithfulness. So, when we are disobedient or experiencing doubts, he remains faithful to us. Okay. And because that is trustworthy and true, because we know that as far as the sanctification process, that we, we fail... Yep. But Christ is still true. So He's we, still consistent. So in the end, if we deny him and reject him, he will also deny and reject us. Now, finally, let's get to the first John reference, uh, which is mentioned all the time. Go ahead, Brian. Yeah. So it says they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might be, be might become plain that they are all not of us. Um, and this is brought up a lot on see, see, apostasy just means that they were never of us. So they were never saved. This is used as proof text to make that claim. Um, there's a few theories on how to really interpret the, uh, this verse. Uh, the first one, which is the one I, I hold to, is it's really talking about the Gnostics. They existed at this time, and they're actively trying to recruit people away from the true gospel, the true Christianity. They're infiltrating churches, right? And when they fail or they give up or they finish their being wolves in sheep's clothing, they go out from them and now they show that they have they are distinct and they are not part of the Christian body. They are not part of the church. They are distinct. They are unbelievers. They were never of us. They are the goats among the sheep. Mm -hmm. Another idea is it's talking about a specific situation that is being described. It's not a global take on all of apostasy. In this case, there were some people that were of the church, that were not true believers, and they showed that because they left the church. That specific situation, that also makes sense, and then you couldn't apply it globally. That's just another idea. Um, or it could also mean that they were never truly saved, signify them being no longer being part of these body of believers. Even so, that doesn't prove globally that you can't lose your salvation. That just 
from our perspective, there can also be people that pretend to be Christians and that never were. Right. That category still exists in our mind. It's not that it doesn't. We just don't use that every time we see someone who is no longer a professing believer. Right. So but the thing is, is, even if you're saying that John has talked about some of these people here and that these people left from them and they were never actually really Christians to begin with, great. So that just creates a different category of person. It just mm -hmm. means that there are people who are deceivers among you. And I wholeheartedly believe that that exists. That's an actual category that exists. However, it does not negate the swath of other passages that we have read mm -hmm. and that we have discussed um, at, ad nauseum at this point. Yeah. So it Don't use this as proof text. <laughs> so either way, it, I think it's talking about Gnostics, which also goes into the whole idea that there's deceivers among you. There is goats among the sheep. And it, when Jesus comes back, he separates the sheep from the goats. Um, so yes, I think it even calls them like little antichrist, which would make more sense. <laughs> right. So certainly it's not a good proof text for eternal security either no. <laughs> way. Um, so just because a verse talks about God's unending love or that he will never forsake you, does it remove the condition of believing? Right. He's not going to condition. He's not going to reject you or forsake you if you continue to believe in him. But if you deny him, he will deny you. Um, God promises eternal life to those who believe. So be careful not to twist that. It's eternal life to those who believe. So it's better understood as a really surrendering your salvation or forfeiting your salvation rather than losing your salvation. Losing uh, salvation has a lot of baggage to it and people freak out. But if you, I've noticed when I say, well, I think you, it, your salvation is something you can forfeit. People go, well, I guess that kind of makes sense. And it's weird. I just make that little shift and it's like, it starts clicking for people. Um, but bottom line is, uh, I think we can say that we don't believe once saved, always saved is necessarily accurate. I think there is eternal security. I think the Bible shows that there's eternal security for the believer. Mm -hmm. So you must continue in the faith, keep the faith. And um, when, you, when you're in the faith, you usually, you're, you're, uh, you'll manifest fruit of obedience. And it won't be perfect because Romans yep. 7 makes that clear. But man, that will be there. Right, there will be some existence of it. Otherwise, as Paul said, there's that one guy who's sleeping with his mother-in-law, and there's no sense of repentance. Instead, they're arrogant about it, not doing anything about it. He's like, he's surrendering you to Satan, dude. Like, I'm done. Like, yeah. you can't. He's like, he was basically, like, there's no way you can be actually be part of the covenant and be partaking this deeply into something. And now people go, well, where's the line? Because I know that's what I'm sure Pastor Tommy will bring that up, and I think that's a perfectly fair question. But honestly, the Bible is pretty vague on that. Because mm -hmm. um, if you love me, you keep my commandments. Well, if I don't keep his commandments, does that mean I don't love him? Well, no, it means I love him. But also, Romans 7 says that makes very clear that we oftentimes will still struggle with the flesh. We don't know where that is, but we do know the one condition. The one condition is evidently clear, and that is you have to believe. And that we do know. I know people personally, and you know people personally, and many people have known people personally who have be once believed and then later on rejected. Yeah. And I think it shouldn't change how you respond to people. I think even from my perspective where I don't think that if you, you reject salvation, you can get it back, benefit of the doubt. I'm still going to give them the gospel. I'm still going to give them an apologetic. I'm still going to talk to them. I'm still going to love them. I'm still going to try to give them the truth. And hope that... Because you don't know how far gone they are. It could be that they're just backslidden. It could be that they were never saved. It could be that they're just having a crisis of faith. It could be that they're just questioning. They're asking really tough questions, and they were never equipped to answer them. Either way, I'm giving the gospel, because that, that is what I feel like I've been commanded to do. That's what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm spreading the gospel, and I'm going to spread it no matter what. I, and I... Tommy, I know you you specifically say this uh, when you're talking to people that you say, oh, well, I, if they're homosexual, I don't, because you, I think 
hold to some level of reprobate doctrine, but you're still giving the gospel because you say, oh, I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt. Same thing. I'm just giving people the benefit of the doubt. I'm not going to gaslight them. If someone says they're a Christian and no longer are, I'm going to give them the gospel. I am going to take the stance that prior to salvation, we have free will, and after salvation, justification, we still retain free will. And that God is sovereign enough to reject us if we deny him. He does not have to keep us within his covenant if we are not holding to the condition of salvation. That's my thought on this in a nutshell. Right. So I mean, that's basically my thoughts on that as well, which is why I was like, well, I don't know the person's heart. I don't know. Maybe they said a prayer when they were at Bible camp as a kid, but it never became a personal relationship. They never actually made a decision. Decision. They just were scared of hell. Mm-hmm. And they were just like, well, if I do this, I get out. Um, as opposed to truly creating a relationship. Because I, I said the prayer when I was six years old. I didn't want to go to hell. And uh, I, I thought for the longest time I was a Christian kid, Christian kid, Christian kid. But I remember it wasn't until 17 that I was like, I never made this decision really. Mm-hmm. I said a prayer. And I attended church. But it wasn't personal. It wasn't me making the decision to put faith and trust. And, um, you know, <clears throat> so anyway, with that being said, um, I hope this was helpful. Maybe this actually helps you. Maybe this frustrated you. Um, either way, I it just... I hope you can at least see that we're trying to make a commitment to scripture and understanding it. Let's make sure our positions don't constantly make us have to redefine um, define things that are inconvenient. I think it's important to take um, historical context into, into mind. I think it's important to take things at its word um, when it's speaking plainly. Some things are poetic, so you have to understand poetry as well. Some of them are hyperbolic and idiomatic. There's a lot of those things as well. Some of these things, though, are pretty plain, right? Yeah, I think you'd be careful about the words you either kind of have to remove or add in order to make the scripture make sense. Like I've seen a lot of people with Hebrews 6 where the one saved always saved camp add an if to that whole statement of it's impossible. Well, if this could happen, it would be impossible. But it's not, so it's just a hyperbolic statement. So they add the word if. And then we had several verses that we read that included if as a conditional for salvation. And I know a lot of people like to remove that or skip that over like, well, you know. (laughs) So (laughs) we don't talk about that. Be careful you're not having to remove words or add words to Scripture for it to make sense, to make it fit your systematic, because I think you're on sh- really shaky ground. Right. Either way, salvation is necessary. Um, salvation is of God. The condition is faith. And uh, I think we need to push that. That's why we didn't do this episode sooner, because I was like, I don't know. Like, I shifted my position on it, but I don't really find it the end of the world, because it wasn't. Dr. Braxton Hunter said it once, and he's like, well, either way, the, go- the gospel is the message, then that's the center point. Yeah. Whether they were never a Christian, whether they are drifting, whether they rejected the faith, either way, they need gospel. So give them the gospel. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that makes sense. Yeah. I can get behind that. So That's um, why you shouldn't be splitting over it, because everyone should be focusing on their faith and giving people the gospel. Exactly. The mission's the same. So anyway, with that being said, guys, I hope this was helpful. hope that this was edifying to you. Sorry about the length on these, late, these videos of late, but they're deep topics, and that's why we do what we do. It's why we've actually slowed down recording, um, not doing this every week because it was a lot. Um, it became a part-time job as opposed to a fun hobby. So uh, hope the, and also I think it allows us to be more thorough and yeah. discuss things and have a more uh, of an ease and flow. So hope this is helpful for you guys. Consider liking and subscribing if this is helpful. Share it with your friends. Um, if you disagree with us and want to prove us wrong, put in the comment section. We will definitely be reading those. Yeah, we'll read those. Um, and you're okay. It's okay to refute our points and have like a counterpoint down mm-hmm. there. I think point and counterpoint, actually some of my favorite books that I read theologically are books that have counter essays. Anyway, uh, thank you guys for watching. Take care. And God bless.